Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 13th of September 2012. For newcomers, I always suggest that you do make good use of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and you can go through uh, the history, basically, of the fake reality that you've been living in and your parents were living in and grandparents too. And you'll find the organizations, foundations, the big consortiums, federations of businesses, in fact, and bankers, of course, at the top that run the world, always have run the world, and they've given you nations, empires, they break them down and bring them down, and then they move on to new ones, and we're going towards the global empire now, of course. They call it globalism, and uh, they call it new world order, etc., and lots of references have been made by George Bush Sr., and uh, people like that. So you're living in a fake reality, the authorized reality, but most folk think it's real because everyone at the top tells them it is. And the media is there, of course, and the media would never lie to you. So you're all given the same indoctrination to be good, willing, ignorant slaves in an amazing system that's very, very old. So help yourself to the websites. I say they're all free audios, with over a thousand of them. And remember, too, all those sites listed in CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com are the official sites. They, they also carry transcripts in English of a lot of the talks that I've done over the years for print-up. And if you go into Alan Watts Sentinel.eu, you can tran- get transcripts in other languages. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you because I don't bring on advertisers as guests or ex-members of the CIA or FBI or CSIS or anything else like that. Because I don't think there's any such thing in the world as X anything. These guys are in it for life, and they know it too. And they all sign the Official Secrets Act, so they can't say anything uh, once they retire, basically. So I'm always suspicious of that. So what I do, basically, is just go through uh, the so-called fictitious reality that's presented to us, break it down, and, and bring it into a deeper reality, a reality that most folk don't want to see because it scares them. It scares them to think... They're living in a false paradigm, basically, where even the, the things that they do and which are promoted for them to do, in fact, because most folk don't do things that they spontaneously want to do by themselves. You're, you're given even the hobbies to go for in different different uh, generations. You're all given your hobbies, how to dress, what kind of culture to follow, what to do in that culture to be the same as everybody else, but always to suit, suit the masters at the top. And it certainly does suit them. Uh, I've gone through the whole idea of the destruction of the family unit because that's what they want for the global society. The family is the smallest form of a tribe. If it's a big family, you've got a bigger tribe. And, of course, if you have community uh, or a whole country, then they've got a problem in dealing with you. Once you're split up altogether, there's no one to stand up for any individual, and therefore that's the government can talk directly to you, and you're helpless, basically. You're on your own. No one else cares. H.G. Wells went through that whole process when they set up the League of Nations, which was the precursor of the United Nations. See, wars is what they use to bring in the new systems all the time. Remember, there's more things happen in culture and cultural changes during war as well. 
and even Carol Quigley, the historian for the organization that helps to run the world, the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, said that he could get more done in five years of warfare than 50 years of propaganda in peacetime. And it's also true. You get all your rights taken away, government steps into agriculture, everything. Homeland Security is in charge now of all ag- agriculture in the States. Same things happen across the rest of the world with their own uh, secret services and so on. So it, it, this is a standard technique. And, of course, the people go along with it because they think, well, they're, they're there to protect us from, from bad guys. Bad guys are all owned by the same guys across the world. One big consortium. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix. Most folk don't use their own judgment, basically. In fact, we're very suspicious. We've been trained to be suspicious of our own judgments or conclusions that we arrive at. Often, mind you, we're guided to the conclusions because it's a science how to guide people to conclusions. It's very much like like programming a computer. The programmer knows uh, basically uh, that computer inside out. He knows the language of it and he and he knows the logic of it. He knows if a question is asked of it, then it has to, has to come up with a particular answer. We're much the same. We're much the same. So we're guided uh, with information, bits and pieces, bits and bytes of information to come to the desired conclusions by those who rule us. And they've done incredible studies on us because we're the most studied species on the planet. Not the little animals that are always showing you on television and insects. We are, you see. Because all wealth comes from people. It's from labor, from us. Marx was right on that at that part too. But um, of course he has other ideas how to use it for himself or his own crew. But the fact is we're well understood in what, how we think and how human behavior uh, can be modified, changed constantly in fact, to suit the dominant minority as it's called. And we've seen the, the attack not only in the family units, but the big boys themselves have had many, many uprisings over the many centuries controlling the public. And, um, of course, the most dangerous time is when you had a, a, a kind of stable society that did have marriage, did have uh, men at least in charge of their families, and their offspring obviously would, would copy the same system. That had to be destroyed. And therefore, all sides, including the, the banking boys who financed the, the Soviet system and the socialists, said they'd have to destroy the family unit to bring in the proper uh, organized society, the way it really should be, just with the ones who would draw, you know, the more intellectual types, as they believe themselves to be. And we've gone through in a very fast really a blink of an eye regarding time. We've gone through amazing changes to do with um, not just culture, but the, the, even even the engineering of the human body, the re-engineering of it. We've seen autism skyrocket, skyrocket uh, off the charts from about the 1950s onwards. It's been incredibly rare, and now it's, it's common. Autism is very common. Always kicks in after they get their MMR vaccines, and the old type of autism, the child never developed from being a baby up to the age of two. And now it's different. Most of them, of course, uh, progress normally. They call them milestones. Then they get an MMR, they have a fever, and then they suddenly go backwards. 
And that's accepted as normal now today. Many things like this are. Even the shapes of men. Men are becoming slimmer in, in, in the shoulders, narrower in the shoulders. We see the sexual behavior utterly changed as well and promoted at the same time from the top down because all culture that's authorized always comes from the top down. Plato talked about that. It's always to suit the dominant minority and the plans that they have for the people. Anything that's truly grassroots and gains power has to be crushed. So everything that's authorized, that's your behavior and the way you behave because it's all been taught to you, promoted by the top, is authorized by the ones from the top. Now, you've probably all heard about the bisphenols, and I've talked about them many times. If you go into the archive section at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, estrogen mimickers, basically. They, uh, these things are, are worse, in a sense, than estrogen, that they're, they're synthetic forms of estrogen. And they have they go into receptor cells, and they lock into them, and they don't disintegrate like your normal hormones do. They, they stay there for an awful long time, and they can switch you on and off basically, and, and including your behavior and your sexual traits as well. And the big boys know these studies because it's just like the animals you're always reading about or, or seeing about in television. I don't think anybody reads anymore. And we're always fascinated by these nature shows and the money that goes into producing them, uh, and never mind all the biologists that study them and so on, is phenomenal. But it's nothing to what they've spent on us, you see. Because what's really important to see how, you understand if you're the herd, you're like any stock and the farmers got to know his stock inside out, every one of them, including all their genealogies, everything that you're possibly prone to or anything. They got to know them, and farmers do that because that's how he makes his living is off, off, off the stock, you see. Same with people. And Charles Fort was right, basically. We're farmed. We always, we've always been farmed. You always get domesticated animals. you got to domesticate them to farm them, you see. It's very hard to, 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 to domesticate, to, to train or keep a hold of wild animals. It just doesn't work. Same with people. Very old, old sciences discussed thousands of years ago by philosophers in different countries. Now you go into this article here to show you what they know at the top. As we all argue amongst ourselves, what's causing this, what's causing that. This is about the bisphenol A's and also you've all heard about soy. Now soy was one of the first GM crops that they produced. It's in everything now. There's soy powder, soy flour and everything, and soy flour and all candies pretty well too. Chocolates, you name it, they've gone into everything. Make sure, you see, things are popular is where they put the stuff in. And both of these things can do the same kind of things with your estrogen and, and, and they can disrupt your, your testosterone if you're a male. This article here is, is what intro it's got here. And it's got Department of, from the Bi- Department of Biology, North Carolina, State University, Raleigh, North Carolina, etc. The Keck Center for Behavioral Sciences are in it. North Carolina State University, Raleigh, North Carolina, um, Division of Pharmacology and Toxicology, Institute for Neurosciences, Institute for Cellular and Molecular Biology, University of Texas, Austin, um, Joint Graduate Program Toxicology, Joint Institute of, of Rutgers University, University of Medicine and Dentistry, and uh, on and on it goes. It's just all these big, all participating in what they already know because it was intentional. Remember, there's three levels of reality too. There's the one given to the public, the bottom is a fake one. And the bottom one also is from universities down because they must always think they're on the cutting edge, including the professors. Everything they discover is rediscovery. That's why it's called research. The searching was done by the ones above them. So everything they're finding out at the bottom was already known and actually promoted long ago. This goes into 
the facts of, of, of what happens if you just take the soya, the soy stuff, basically, or you just take the bisphenol A. And basically the same things happen with both independently. However, if you take them both together, the soy will, will, will have a strange um, expression and alter the, the, or mitigate the, the effects of the bisphenol A. But it says, early life, early life exposure to bisphenol A, right, a component of polycarbonate plastics and epoxy resins, alters sociosexual behavior in numerous species, including humans. They've always known it. This is from the top, right? The present study focused on the, the ontogeny of these behavioral effects beginning in adolescence and assessed and underlying molecular changes in the amygdala in the brain. We also explored the mitigating potential of the soy-rich diet on these endpoints. Worcester rats were exposed to BPA via drinking water, and it gives you the, the dosage, from gestation through puberty, and reared on a soy-based or soy-free diet. Uh, so that uh, ones that was on soy and one that was off soy. A group exposed to ethanol uh, estradiol, it's called, a soy-free diet was used as a positive estrogenic control. Animals were tested as juveniles or adults for anxiety-like and exploratory behavior. Assessment of serum BPA and genistine, uh, a soy phytoestrogen, confirmed that internal dose was within a human-relevant range. In other words, it can affect humans. BPA-induced anxiogenic behavior in juveniles and loss of sexual dimorphisms, it says here, in adult exploratory behavior. But only in the animals reared on the soy-free diets. Expression analysis revealed a suite of genes, including a subset known to mediate socio-sexual behavior associated with BPA-induced juvenile anxiety. You know all these forms of autism and above autism? that they've got in school now. They've got a whole bunch of diagnoses. They've got about 10 of them now. And um, and look, look at the children. Look at them. They're all kind of puffed up. And, and uh, not just fat, but it's, it's puffed up. They're, they look very effeminate. It's the estrogen. It's all the stuff from the BPA and the soya. And this is what the study is all about. So they know what it causes massive anxiety. It'll cause them to be hyper as well. And, and hard to manage because they're either crying one minute or yelling the next. That's standard with it. So I'll put this article up tonight for those who want to go through it. And uh, it explains an awful lot that we already knew, of course, because there's many studies just, just reaffirming what we already know. But they go through the whole system here and, uh, and, and show you how it works on the humans and how they're, they're, they're well aware of it all, basically. Well, see... Warfare takes many, many forms. You're trained to believe that the guy with a gun and the uniform is involved in warfare. You don't think about anything else. Long-term warfare is how to eliminate your enemy uh, either before they're born, so that they won't be born by going after the woman, sterilizing them, whatever, and various means, chemical or otherwise, or once they're very young children, how do you disable them then so they'll not, they won't grow up into basically normal young guys? who might go off and fight. That's, this is standard stuff that they're taught at the top. Even in officer training classes, now they teach them this kind of stuff. Long-term warfare. That's intergenerational, you see. So you're under warfare. You have been. So were your parents before you. 
and it gets worse every time. We know, for instance, that, that even um, the animals fed on the third generation of the soy diet, for instance, this is old stuff that's been rehashed many times by the same groups and all the rest of it, uh, they end up being sterile. They end up being sterile. So it alters your gene expressions in the next generation and then the next generation again. And you wonder why the people are going sterile. It's the most booming business, really, uh, in the world today is sterility. Mainly in the first world countries, because those are the ones they attacked first, you see. So that's just a little bit of news for those who are interested in it. And that's the music coming in, so I'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix talking about reality and the, the fake one that most folk believe in. It works awfully well for them because it's been so well designed for them to believe. It's so simple to believe. Your parents believed it. Your friends will all believe it. And we'll all prattle about irrelevant things and movies and, and TV shows and things like that. We're trivia. People live in trivia their whole lives long. It keeps them safe from, from doing anything that, that might matter in life, you know. They won't do anything that really matters or change the system. But it's bad enough when you have to, you're getting forced into a system where there's no freedoms and no, no privacy whatsoever to do with computers and cell phones and everything else. That's why they gave it all to the general public. Even in one of the versions, the TV versions or, or movie versions of uh, Brave New World, um, the so-called savage or the primitive that comes into the modern city, he says, well, you've got all these, te- all this technology. The people have all this technology and, and they can use. And the, and the guy, the big alpha plus system, he says, yeah, but we want to give them the, the stuff that keeps them under observation and keeps them uh, well-behaved to, to, to be used by the system that we run. That's what he said. And that's how it really is. That's how it really is. All technology is given to make sure that we're actually ruled more easily by those who rule us. And people accept it too. How amazing that it just shows you anything can be done to the public. They will accept anything at all, really, if it's done in the proper way and promoted to certain, especially if you put a lot of entertainment on something that's going to bring them down eventually, like, like the, the computer. And I've said that years ago, eventually they take all the rights away and all the free stuff away and they study us all and uh, it's all to spy on public and they'll keep using it because by that time they'll be used to, to searching on the internet for everything that, that interests them or whatever is going around the, the trend of the day. And that's how it's happening, you see. And it's bad enough to say when you've got all these big uh, professional agencies doing uh, spy work for governments and everything else and private corporations but uh, where is the truth in anything? This article here, for instance, says malware is inserted on PC production lines, says study. And the great hero of all is Microsoft. Microsoft is a hero. Do you really believe that? And it says cyber criminals have opened a new front in their battle to infect computers with malware, PC production lines. Well, who owns the PC production lines? Even it's all in China. Who really owns it? It won't be the Chinese. Several new computers have been found to carry malware installed in the factory, suggests the microwave study, or Microsoft study. One virus is called Nitol, found by Microsoft, and it steals personal details to help criminals plunder online bank accounts. Microsoft won permission from the U.S. court to tackle the network of hijacked PCs made from Nitol-infected computers. 
So it tells you that Microsoft's investigators actually bought new computers from this company and and right off the bat they were already infected. So it's built into it like they didn't know this stuff. What else is built into by Microsoft and all the other companies? They're all doing what everybody else is doing, put it that way. I'll put this link up tonight too, but you can figure it out for yourselves. The fact is that everything you purchase today, I don't care what you put spyware you put on, it's, it's pretty well pointless because the big boys, uh, there's backdoors built into all of them. They're constantly feeding all your data back to certain sources. We know that too. It's a law, by the way. <laughs> it's a law. Even your telephone's got chips in it that must be accessed by uh, the agencies. And this article here, too, is bad enough when you have the agencies doing it and so on. A U.S. hacker who sold access to thousands of hijacked home computers have been jailed for 30 months. Joshua Schichtel of Phoenix, Arizona, was sentenced for renting out more than 72,000 PCs that he'd taken over using computer viruses. Millions of PCs are enrolled in these networks known as botnets, and many help to send out junk mail messages. More than just junk mail messages, believe you me. Shiftel's customers installed their own malicious software in the PCs to aid their own cybercrime efforts. As well as going to prison for 30 months, Shiftel is also sentenced to a three-year supervised release program uh, that he will serve after leaving jail. And the supervision will, now, will tightly control his access to computers in the net. But, well, it's not just him, obviously. There's a whole bunch involved in, in this kind of operation, obviously. He's only one that's been caught. Just in a brief statement about the case, the U.S. Department of Justice said Schichtel uh, had pleaded guilty to one count of selling access to 72,000 machines that formed part of a bigger botnet he controlled. Uh, and he will take the can for it, but as I say, he's part of a, a much bigger, bigger group. Remotely attempting to cause damage to computers without authorization breaks U.S. Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, which is kind of a joke because the government's doing it all the time, eh? all the agencies <laughs> themselves. But they had the government. Since in 2004, uh, Schichtel was one of four men accused of using botnets to carry out attacks on websites. The charges against him then were dropped because the U.S. government failed to file an, an indictment before a court-imposed deadline. So in other words, he had awfully good lawyers, which means he was awfully, awfully wealthy, and he was well-connected. That's what that means, you see. And... <laughs> Uh, Greece is borrowing more money again, supposedly. You know, this endless borrowing money and the public are, remember, every country in the European Union is, is pouring cash into Greece, supposedly. We're told this. And every time they put money out to Greece, the, the countries back home, they're borrowing the money to give to Greece. They're borrowing it from the international bankers, which is not, it's just a bunch of blips on the screen, of course. They don't even give them checks anymore and say, yeah, go and print up cash. No, they, they, they get blips on the screen. That's good enough for them. But you lot all have to pay because you're the guarantors for it each time they, they, they do that. You're all the guarantors to pay that loan off. If you've got a personal bill every week from governments to do with, with your added share, the cost that you had to pay off, you'd be freaking out. But you don't get it, so you don't think anything of it. Oh, government has given so-and-so to so-and-so, and government's given money to that and so-and-so. You think nothing of it at all. What a beautiful scam that is, isn't it? But if they build every week, a lot of a different story. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Hi folks, I'm Alan Watson, talking about Greece and the massive debt that just goes on and on and on forever. And the banks, of course, are happy because the more money that's owed to them, the money that they give and lend out and all the rest of it, the more authority they have over all governments. That's how it's always been. Always been. Even prime ministers have to go cap in hand every year to, to the, the head of their own central bank, which is private. They're all private banks, you see. Even the ones that they pretend are not, they are. They're all private banks. And um, so debt's awfully good for banking and authority. That's why Rothschild said, this is give me control of the money, and I, and I don't care who you put in as, as, as prime minister. Because obviously the prime minister is, is, is down below him. He's subordinate to him. The money guy's on top. Anyway, it says Israel Prime Minister says, it says Israeli Minister of Military Affairs Ehud Barak has ordered the army to explore the possible purchase of Greek islands to, to set up a naval trading uh, training base. It came after uh, Greece's deepening financial crisis, which prompted Greek Prime Minister Antonis Samaras in August to announce his country was considering selling or leasing uninhabited islands so long as it poses no security threat. Israeli media reported Barak's order Wednesday, noting that the island in question could also serve as a port for Israel or Israeli vessels and submarines. Science and Technology Minister Daniel Hershkovsky, uh, or Hershkowitz, as it says here, has reportedly held talks in Greece where he learned that Greece may consider an Israeli purchase. He reported his findings to Barak, who ordered the army to look into the matter, and he held a session on the matter during which Navy representatives stressed they had no need for an island and cited non-profitability concerns. Barak's office later said the case had been dropped, and the proposal was met with strong criticism from Israel's foreign ministry, where officials complained why such a sensitive issue had been discussed without their information. So anyway, everybody's vying for, to, to buy up what's left of Greece, and that it's destitute and destroyed. And they can do that with every country that they want, you know, the big bankers. And, of course, that is the plan. In fact, they're using the crisis in all the countries. Now, now they're all in massive debt. We're bailing out Greece after, and, and Spain and everything else. Massive debt. Then they all have to completely give up their sovereignty, according to Barroso, their day there, uh, and amalgamate even further and politically and everything else. So it's working perfectly in the strategy sense of it. It's working perfectly well. And going back to the old Kissinger, Kissinger is still a big player in the geopolitics, along with Brzezinski and others. And there's many more of them that you never hear of. Uh, they keep them out of the news deliberately. But um, Kissinger said years ago that uh, his plan, if he had anything to do with Iraq and all the other countries that the U.S. wanted to take out under the, the project for New American Century, and they listed all the countries they wanted to take out, and they have done most of them so far, and so it's sorry to bump off, and they've also got to do the same with Iran, because they're on the list. But the, he said, I'd rather um, you put in your own governments, basically meaning puppet governments, and then you have all different factions uh, fighting each other. You pay the leaders of factions to fight each other. The followers, it doesn't matter, they'll follow the leaders, right? And that way they'll be destitute forever. They're not organized, therefore you can do what you want with them. You can take out the oil, all the stuff that you're after. There's no united force against you. And that's what they've done across the whole Middle East. After every tyrant and great Satan was knocked down, because they've called all these guys all the names under the sun that they've killed off. And look at the mess of it now. It's worse than it was ever before. It was quiet before. Anyway, another puppet guy, U.S. trained engineer's new Libyan prime minister. 
And it says Libya's National Congress has chosen American-trained optical engineer Mustafa Abu Shagur as its new prime minister a day after Islamist gunmen killed the U.S. ambassador to the country. Mr. Shagur edged out wartime rebel Premier Mahmoud Jibril in 96-94 in a second round vote that was shown live on national television. As government chief, Mr. Segur will be uh, responsible for day-to-day running of Libya's oil-based economy. Guess who's going to put, who, who put them in, right? <laughs> the oil-based economy. Well, the National Congress elected in July passes laws and helps draft a new constitution for the North, North African state. So, everybody that they put in so far has been a puppet, as you well know. In fact, the, the guy that they put in as a vice president of uh, uh, Iraq, is on the lam right now. He's wanted because he was involved in exactly what I said uh, in, in mass killings. He's getting factions fighting each other. He was involved in setting up mass killings on behalf of, well, his masters, which is not in Iraq, obviously. And another article, too, is the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It's a fascinating thing because it's all done in secret. And even the politicians who are given charge of it, they're not allowed into this private meetings that they have, and it's still secret even from them. But it says the EFF has been fighting against the Trans-Pacific Partnership Intellectual Property Chapter for several years. This agreement poses a great risk to users' freedoms and access to information on a global scale. It's not just information, by the way. It's, it's patents as well, including drugs, generic drugs and all that. The U.S., Drug companies, the ones based in the U.S. or not really U.S., want to extend their patent time from from 10 to about 20 years or something, which means that even no 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 company could make generic drugs after that. I mean, the massive price you have to pay across the world for the these these so-called uh, first off-the-shelf drugs that they make with their patents on it. That's one of the big things. Anyway, it says we've created this infographic to capture the most problematic aspects of TPP and to help users, advocates and innovators from around the world spread the world about how this agreement will impact them and their societies. And there's a PDF on it which you can download. Now, someone did manage to get the chapter 12 too, and I've got it here, PDF, and I'll put up the link tonight for it as well. It's Article 12.2 of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It's, it's amazing to read it because it's awful like the old stuff they used to have in the British East India Company. It's never changed. Why should they change the system? Remember, everything is a corporation. And, and these big corporations have big, more power than governments, the way they, they draft it all out. And it goes through the meanings. You see, everything is done on the, the words that they use, they always generally in a preamble or whatever, they'll tell you what they mean, which is often what you would never dream of them in. But it tells you what the center, center means international center for settlement of investment disputes. And it says claimant means an investor of a party that, that is a party to an investment dispute with another party. They love parties, that's what they give you left wing and right wing as well. Covered investment means, with respect to a party, an investment in its territory of an investor or another party in existence as of the date of an entry into force of this agreement or established, acquired, or expanded thereafter, which has been legally constituted in accordance with its laws and regulations, provided that such formalities do not materially impair the protections afforded by the party to the investors of another party or covered investments under this chapter. Isn't that wonderful? make it so simple, isn't it? But what it really gets into is the fact that government, once they set it up, it's a private enterprise that's taken whole nations and all of us with it, remember, that they will always be treated as a sovereign, superior, private enterprise. 
is sovereign even above the sovereignty of governments. And all of us are getting dragged into it. Now remember, the guys behind it are the guys who came out with this so-called global system over a hundred years ago, openly. And they were the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Private organization. You don't vote them in. They created the Council on Foreign Relations across the world. They put in prime ministers and presidents across the world for a hundred years. And uh, they give you all your media too. They own all the media. And they made it quite known in their writings that their, their goal was to, to basically uh, emerge whole continents together and, and regions of the world through trade, what they called free trade. This is another part, is the part of this party stuff. And also the, the, the movement of labor. If they get cheaper labor, they can move cheap labor across borders. And you can't stop them with any national laws to do with minimum wages or anything. But I'll put this up tonight. It's interesting. Look through the wording of it. Even an enterprise. They always, it's kind of God blesses on this enterprise. Does that ring a bell somewhere? You know. It says enterprise means any entity constituted or organized under applicable law, whether or not for profit. Remember that you know the Starship Enterprise as well, and whether privately or governmentally owned or controlled, including any corporation, trust, partnership, sole proprietorship, joint venture, association, or similar organization and a branch of enterprise. And it means any enterprise of a party means an enterprise constituted or organized under the law of a party and a branch located in the territory of a party and carrying out business activities there. Then freely usable currency means freely usable currency as determined by the International Monetary Fund. Now, in the histories of the the Royal Institute for International Affairs, they went through the fact they would set up the International Monetary Fund to be the big boss and the central banking systems across the world, which they've pretty well done. And then they'd all be responsible to the Bank for International Settlements, another private company, which the same boys that run and set up the Royal Institute for International Affairs, they set it up, uh, the boys at the top, they own the BIS. You understand, we're all privately owned. This is the point of it all. We're all completely privately owned, and we have been for an awful, awful long time. And they use nationalism when it suits them, and they use internationalism when it suits them, because it's only us that have to believe in it one way or another, you see. And it's easy for us to believe anything we're told. Very easy, especially when you get a threat from outside, that gets you national again, you see. But um, they go through the, the, the freely usable currency, etc., that, what that really means. It's, a, it's a freely usable currency as determined by the International Monetary Fund under its Articles of Agreement. An agreement with what? With all the countries. This private entity has got the status where they've got countries to sign on to their Articles of Agreement, to obey their agreement. And you think you're free. And you go and vote for people. They're all put in by the same organization that runs the world. Anyway, I'll put this whole thing up tonight and those who want to can go through it because it's interesting to see for those who really really care how the world is really run and how it's owned and managed and everything else. And always has been, by the way. Now... (laughs) This is interesting times, as you well know, with the, with, the, with the shootings of Stevens recently in Libya. And the fact that, too, they didn't have Marines around there. It's rather odd, isn't it? Some think it was waiting to happen. Because every other, other embassy they've got has got that. But um, 
And then, of course, who benefits out of all? And who's pushing for war? We've got Netanyahu, we've got an article on him, really, uh, before, during and after, uh, actually saying what will it take to provoke Americans into taking out Iran. You know? Who caused this whole thing? Who's, who's going to benefit out of it? Because it's meant to get everybody angry back home. You know, you're national again, you see, for a little while. Once you've finished off the Middle East, you'll be international again. And anyway, the, 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 Israel is fostering intolerance of Christianity, which is true in Israel. There's many documentaries up on, on YouTube where you'll see Christians here and, and what they go through. Their churches are burned down in many cases, smeared with nasty stuff. And um, it sounds like excitement, but it's not excitement. And really nasty stuff because there's no love in Judaism for Christianity whatsoever. Just the opposite. But the Israeli government's failure to respond adequately to Jewish extremist attacks against churches and monasteries is fostering a climate of of intolerance towards Christianity in the country, a senior Vatican official in Jerusalem has warned. And it says, police in action and an educational culture that encourages Jewish children to treat Christians with contempt, and they really do over there, has made life increasingly intolerable for many. Friar Pier Battista Pizabala, the custodian of the Holy Land, said, it says, um, it says his intervention, unusually outspoken uh, for a senior Catholic churchman, came after pro-settler extremists attacked a Trappist monastery in the town of Latrun. The door of the monastery was set fire to and its walls were covered with anti-Christian graffiti that denounced Christ as a monkey. That's standard. If you go into the Talmud, there's got all that stuff there. It's supposed to be boiling and excrement and all that stuff. That's what they say. Vincent is the latest in a series of acts and arson and, and vandalism this year targeting places of worship, including Jerusalem's 11th century monastery of the cross, built in the site where the tree used to make Christ's cross is held to have been planted. Slogans reading death to Christians and other offensive graffiti were daubed on its walls. And then there's related articles to it as well. But um, that does go on in there, and it's, it's even, even there's Jewish Christians over there who've also had their churches burned down, and they're attacked by the rabbis whip up the mobs. You can look up the, the videos and watch them yourselves. There's lots up there. And so you put Netanyahu lashing out at... Um, the U.S. over Iran program because you're not doing your job enough. You're supposed to do what you're told and get on with this, you know, project for New American Century and take all these countries out. So he's he's hammering away and he says, well, "What will it take to get Americans to move?" Well, whoever does, what, what will it take, Mr. Netanyahu? Also, NYPD, New York Police Department in Israel, Police Department opens branch in Kafar Sabah with lone detective Charlie Ben name. And it says, even if they do dramatically overstate their counterterrorism record, which they certainly do, it says it's no secret that the bigger than the, the FBI, NYPD, has extensive counterterrorism operations. The operations often include spying outside the NYPD jurisdiction, both nationally and abroad. According to the Al Monitor, an online newspaper reporting in the Middle East, the NYPD is, has now officially opened a branch in Israel Sharon's district police headquarters in Kvar Saba uh, with former Israeli and veteran NYPD detective Charlie Ben Naim uh, from Al Monitor. Ben Naim was chosen for the mission of opening the NYPD branch in Israel. He's a veteran detective of the NYPD and a former Israeli who went to study in New York, married a local city resident and then joined the local police force. 
He's dealt with um, in the line of duty of the extradition of criminals, transmitting of intelligence information, I wonder to who, and assistance in the location of missing persons, both in the U.S. and in Israel. So I'll put this link up as well to show you uh, that there's many forces at work in the world, and they all have their own ambitions, of course, and their own particular loyalties. There's no doubt about it. You, you can't have... Understand that there is a very... There's a top secret service in the world, a top one. Uh, anything below that is, including even CIA to an extent, and MI6, they're out of the loop from the ones at the top, because all those below it can be penetrated from uh, by other nationalities or people with other um, um, affiliations or allegiances. So you, you can't have one below it that won't be penetrated. Some of them are even taken over. So you can't have a national thing at all anymore. People come into your country and become nationalized, uh, or they have their children brought up in the same cultures as the old homeland. Uh, they can have allegiances to the old homeland, but this, you can't stop from getting into and applying for these jobs and getting them. But this is a secret society at the top of the world that runs everything, and they're above all of that, above all. This article is a little bit of a funny one, because I've talked about how in the gangster world of corporations and governments, Everything works with everything else to make sure that corporations stay propped up even when they're failing. We'll talk about the Chevy Volt when I come back from this break. We're back, cutting through the matrix and talking about how the taxpayers use for everything now. And the guys who get into even the Pentagon, they're a lot wiser. They've caught on to a lot of things and they've been groomed as well. And they know how the scams all work. The ones who get up there really all catch on eventually. So they copy the guys above them, the real, the big boys above them, and just, you know, just loot the public as well. Anyway, the Pentagon is buying Chevrolet Volts, now, which means that the taxpayer is buying uh, Chevrolet Volts cars to help green up the military. This is it saying, no, it's not. It's to, it's to actually get Chevy out the hole that they're in. Not the Chevys I'm really caring about America. They took all the bailout money as, as they all did. And, of course, they've moved abroad, most of them. Anyway, it's still not doing well with this this white elephant that they've created to, to green. Nobody wants these darn cars because they're useless. It says, so the Pentagon's buying Chevy Volts to help, help out, um, basically, a Chevy company. It says the Department of Defense began purchasing the struggling electric car, which retails at $40,000 each this summer as part of its goal to purchase 1,500 such green vehicles. The Marine Corps Air Station in Miramar, California, purchased its first two volts in July. 18 more vehicles will come shortly. The Obama administration championed the production of the volts. Along with the president's pledge this year, you can imagine all the pledges he's given to all these greeny companies, they all went under, and the taxpayers left with billions of dollars and more in debt. And it says, um, anyway, he, he says that the president's pledged this year to buy one and drive it himself five years from now when I'm not president anymore. He wouldn't have to buy one himself because he'll get a free car and all, but and a chauffeur. The government offers a $7,500 tax break to encourage sales. All of these kind of perks because they can't get rid of them. GM is now offering the vehicle for as low as $169 per month, a financing deal that's generally reserved for $15,000 cars, a price so low that GM is reported losing 
$50,000 per vehicle. The struggling automaker will suspend production later this month after only 2,500 volts drove off the lots last month. So GM has spent $1.2 billion developing an electric car and is still working out kinks such as a Volt's tendency. Listen to this. He's one of the reasons folk don't, don't want it. It gets in an accident and so on. The Volt's tendency is to electrocute firefighters. <laughs> well, which probably means, you see, uh, it also electrocutes the, the drivers as well. You see, once they get a little bump. And it says, and the first responders to accidents. The Department of Defense has been involved in that process, uh, helping to test the Volt's battery safety and capabilities. They must have massive capacitors in them to give up a lethal charge, massive lethal charge. So Obama has made the auto bailout a centerpiece of the campaign trail. Despite GM's recent woes, the company's stock fell about 40% since it emerged from bankruptcy, and GM and its lending arm, Allied Bank, owe $42 billion on their $57 billion bailout. And the government still has a stake in GM. So the government is using the, the taxpayers' money to give to the Pentagon to pass that tax money on to GM, the private corporations, because, you see, private corporations rule the world. And, and that was what Quigley and others said. That was the goal. We're, we're actually there. We've been there for quite a long time. But that's the sort of thing. Another article I'll put up tonight, too, is to do with uh, a rip-off from, from building stadiums in the U.S. It's one of the biggest rip-offs. They're all in, all city managers are all in on this kind of stuff. And it's ripped off one, one city by $4 billion. And nothing will happen about it because it's a common thing, very, very common thing. They inflate the prices like you wouldn't believe and charge them because the public never inquire. They don't even know what's getting spent on these things. See, we're just cattle, you see. And that's where all things come from, is from the big herd. That's our function. And all you have to do is play and be happy. Be happy. Not bad, eh? Be happy. From Hamish Monsieur from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>